This Congress started with threats of impeaching Secretary Mayorkas, and then it was FBI Director Christopher Wray, and then Merrick Garland, uh, and now Joe Biden. And, and by the way, Eamon, one day he's sleepy Joe, the next day he's corrupt Joe. I know people who are sleepy. I know people who are corrupt. I don't know anyone who is both. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites if you look at the polling still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety Program, fellas. It's nice to be back in the studio, isn't it? Boy, it sure is. And to be back with you, fellas, there's nothing better. Oh, Michael Raymond, look at how handsome he is. Very handsome. Just holding down the center seat today in the absence of our uh, good friend, Comfortably Smug. Yeah. You know, we'll miss him, but I think, uh, you know, the show has to go on. Well, you know, he's he deserves a break. I told well, he's him been uh, working so hard. I told him this morning he, he really earned a break from all his breaks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> a couple hard weeks of work, and he has to shut it down for a month. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> you never know. And with all the variants, is there any question that he's getting one of those on he's, the way he's back de- home? Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be a petri dish. <laughs> He, there's not a variant he's missed in the entire COVID life cycle. He's gotten every single one. No, yeah. and now that we're on uh, on the move for another, I'm sure he will obtain it and bring it back to us for his observation. <laughs> uh, listen, for those of you who keep in close contact with the Variety program, you know we've been on the road quite a bit. Uh, we were in Iowa, we were in Atlanta, and then we did this magnificent game day show before the debate in Milwaukee. I'm quite proud of us. Yeah, I think it uh, it went off without a hitch. Well, I guess the only hitch really was the fact that it was like 115 degrees. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, like real professionals, I think we kept our composure up you, there. You gotta go, if you haven't seen it, first of all, if you haven't seen it, you really have to go to YouTube to, to know what we're talking about. This is much different than anything else we've ever done. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, this true. is this is true. And well, and that has ever been done in politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is something that has been reserved for basically college football. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we did it, I think, to great fanfare. The Wolf deserves an enormous amount of credit, as does Jared Small and his team, Spaghetti Brothers and the like. Uh, we did. It, it, listen, when you're doing 115 degrees and you're doing it in a full suit for two hours, that takes a lot. Uh, it also takes a lot for the 15 people who are working on that set all day long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all, in together. all black. They were in all black oh, in that heat. Just ruthless gear. Just absolute professionals. And we were talking about this earlier. They actually had to put the cameras on ice because yeah. the cameras could only go up to 110 degrees and they needed to keep them cool before the show started. Yeah, they had to keep them in a cooler to get that 4K res that you can enjoy on the YouTube on the Ruthless YouTube channel. They knew as well or better than anybody else the one motto of the Ruthless Variety program, the stage is everything. <laughs> <laughs> the stage is everything, and I feel like we commanded it quite well, fellas. How did you feel about it, Michael? I felt very very good about it. Um, you know, I uh, had a little 
reservation about showing up uh, the esteemed senator, Ron Johnson, in our chug-off. I felt very good in the moment. Not as much reservation as he had. (laughs) (laughs) He was quite upset. It was still, it's probably the greatest line in the history of Ruthless. You've embarrassed me in front of my constituents? (laughs) (laughs) In which he said, by the way, we just need a clip of that wolf to just run in perpetuity that we put in the board. Because the sincerity by which he said it yeah was what well, it wasn't like he was trying to be funny he was like you've embarrassed me in front of my constituents well you know but he, he came up during one of the commercial breaks and shook my hand again and you know congratululated me he really did the magnanimous <laughs> yeah uh thing and uh i appreciate that and he wasn't going in this direction but you sort of like picked up what could have been an issue by saying, once you get into cycle, I'm happy to come back yeah. and throw the game. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was terrific. Yeah, yeah. But we started, for those of you who didn't know, we, so we start the show the way we start all of our live shows, with Michael shotgunning or chugging a beer. And in this time, a, a few weeks prior, we saw the senator from the great state of Wisconsin in a beer chugging competition of his own, which he looked quite formidable. Yeah. And so it was the idea of the variety program that we not only start with Ron John, but we start with a chug off. He is he is quite formidable. And anybody who's seen these videos knows that he's a champion in his own right. But what he had never faced before was Michael Duncan. (laughs) He didn't he didn't see the buzzsaw come. Well, it's and it's one thing to do a chug off in a bar. It's another thing when you're in the elements. I mean, you know. The Rams were the greatest show on turf, but if you put them in Lambeau in December, it might be a different outcome. It might be, and, yeah. and indeed it was. And, and Michael often says in that contest, his only a real opponent is gravity. Well, that's what he says. Yeah, yeah. And, and now I, I've come to believe it, because uh, that was a formidable, very, very impressive deal. I think the whole thing was pretty impressive. I mean, the guests were, were great. Mm-hmm. The sponsors can't thank them enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I uh, can I say Kemp? Yeah, Kemp. I mean, look, I've loved him for a long time, and I think he's one of the great governors in the history of our country. But the idea that this guy flew up, yeah, only to go on the Ruthless Variety program, be the celebrity guest picker, and then drop hot takes mm-hmm. and and do a little cooking and bring some hot sauce. And just like entertain everyone that was assembled is another level. I didn't, I, I mean, it was 115 degrees. I guess if a guy from Georgia, you know, he's more accustomed to that kind of thing, but he didn't miss a step. No, he, he was very good. He was very natural. You kind of got the sense that the guy had spent some time watching College Game Day over yeah. the years, which yeah. most guys growing up in Georgia, living in Georgia, probably have. He, his cadence was perfect. He brought, he brought the show up. Yeah. I mean, it was fun. It was fun. I'm so glad we did it, and uh, thanks to everybody who showed up for it. We had hundreds of minions that showed up for it in the 115 degree heat. Yeah, yeah, they brought the flat or the what fat heads? Yeah, yeah, the fat heads. There were some fat heads out there. I saw, I saw uh, your two mugs. Mm-hmm. I saw your two mugs in the Washington Post. Wow. Yeah. Little program that could a little, yeah. fa- a little fame. Thought. We also got a phenomenal uh, debate. You know, I I didn't know what it was going to be like without Donald Trump on stage. And I think a lot of the candidates really, you know, used that opportunity to showcase who they are. And I, a lot of fireworks. Yeah. Oh, I mean, just a ton. Just a ton. And it was everybody brought game 
And what's funny is, and we were just, John and I were just talking about this, the analysis piece, which I think was the best part of this show for those of you who are into the substance of politics. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't do it like all the cable news does it. And you're like, here's your 30 seconds and you just give me your winners and losers and give me some staid sort of like completely conventional wisdom take. We broke each candidate that we thought was gonna make a tangible difference in the debate down. Mm-hmm. And if you look back at what we said about each one of those people, it basically was their game plan and some executed it perfectly and some didn't, right? Like for example, like we started off with DeSantis by saying this is the first time millions of people are gonna hear what he's actually had to say because anything you read about that campaign over the last three or four months has been process stories about the campaign itself or about right. expectations or about fundraising. It's never about what he has to say. And so if he can hone the message and actually deliver it, people are gonna be like, wow, he's saying kind of what I wanna hear, and he did that. Yeah, when it comes to analysis where the mainstream media comes up short is usually they're framing because every Republican is framed underneath what their lib- liberal overlords want them to say about the Republicans. Mm-hmm. This is what this candidate thinks about Trump. This is what this candidate thinks about climate change. This is what this candidate thinks about Black Lives Matter. There is no framing that is <laughs> genuinely pure about what it is that this person is bringing well, to the they, table. But also they don't they don't include a voice from the conservative side about what it is that you'd like to hear or who right. it is that they're talking well, no, to. That's, right. that's exactly. Unless it's like Bill Crystal. You know? like, there is nobody right. in the conservative movement is like, you right. know, I've just been hanging out all day waiting for the climate change views of these candidates. Right. Yeah. So it's no wonder why people are looking for something different than yeah. what they get from mainstream media, and that's where the variety program comes into play. Yeah, totally. Um, but to continue that on, I mean, we talked a little bit about Christy, we talked about Nikki Haley, we talked mm-hmm. about Tim Scott, uh, Smug talked about Burgum. We didn't know coming into it that Burgum was going to tear his Achilles mm-hmm. the day before yeah. the debate. He was playing hurt. Now, I think we all agree he did not get done what he needed to get done in that debate. Hard to blame the guy when he's, dealing with, he's standing all night on literally a torn Achilles. I don't know. I mean, I don't, was he on painkillers? Was he not on pain? I don't know. I think you would kind of have to be. I, I, I've heard it's the most painful yeah. tear you can have on your entire body. Yeah. Interesting. Well, he's a hell of a guy regardless, but, but you know, a little understated from what we wanted to expect from him. Christy started off red hot in that Vivek exchange where I thought he just body bagged him very early. But then he had a couple more opportunities with Vivek again and then other candidates where he could have and he didn't. He kind mm-hmm. of rested back on his jersey story and everything else, which I think is sort of second best. Yeah. I mean, he also wasn't helped at all by some of the moderator questions that were directed the at him, and the UFOs like and whatnot. Yeah. But what he did, and maybe it's sort of similar to the to the Rubio situation in twenty sixteen, is what I think Christie did with his chat GPT yeah. slam on Vivek is he took a little shine off the penny of Vivek and you know, I think people were left with the impression if they didn't like him that he was a little too slick. Mm. Well, he that was, and he certainly opened the door to that, where it looked like every candidate on stage had a wrench waiting. Oh for yeah, him. yeah, yeah, exactly. He was not the only one who took the shine off of Vake. It, uh, Nikki Haley's oh, exchange with yeah. him was, I think, and legendary. I thought your analysis of this was exactly right. I yeah, mean, we told you the Ruthless Variety program told you to expect Nikki Haley to show her 
foreign policy bona fides over and over and over again because that's that's her that's her you know that's her advantage that's where she really like draws a difference and a contrast with the rest of the field her expertise on that front and she took it to Vivek on a number of subjects including Israel you know obviously the guy has been out there talking about how we need to defund Israel he's been sounding like Zig Ziglar with like a Palestinian bent <laughs> you know it's like yeah. where do, I don't know where that came from yeah, you all have of a sudden to, you have to think it's going to hurt him with evangelicals in Iowa you just it I mean you just have to it certainly doesn't but you know at the same time and I think people have sort of blind spots on this stuff because you know they like what Nikki did or you also think Pence did exactly what he had to do and he sounded like the statesman he clearly is. And in, he, in terms of where expectations yeah, were, right, which is where, right. and then you look at the totality of the debate, nobody had a greater chasm right. than Mike Pence. But but to that, and this is where it gets to the blind spot, though. If you're a person who like likes what Mike Pence did or likes what Nikki did, you might not want to acknowledge it. But Vivek did what he wanted to do, too. Sure. This is a guy who maybe nationally has 8% name ID. And he was the focus of the Republican debate. He was debating the former ambassador to the U.N. and the former vice president. Like, you know, you may not like it. He was but on the same level. He was on the same level. And in terms of in terms of like attention. Right. Which increasingly in politics, you know, I mean, look, for those of us remember elections of old, there always used to be this calculus of like who can do the job. I don't know whether or not that's a calculus or not. No, and we I, live in an attention economy. Yeah, it's like it, all people are scrolling on their phones all day, and like if they can pay attention for six seconds, it's a miracle. Yeah, and if your bet is that it's an attention economy, he did exactly what he wanted to do. That's, right. That's exactly right. It's another thing you heard in the analysis from the Ruthless Variety program was that Vivek was not going to back down from any interaction with any of these people. We played audio and video of him with Don Lemon showing that he is capable of giving and taking with anybody and i did he, think he, he stayed there, in there. there was one time period of relative i mean he he was omnipresent throughout this debate there was one time period where he sort of like receded a, a, a touch and it was after that nikki haley exchange well she she hit him pretty hard that is about as hard as you can get hit in a debate and still make forward progress in the end. I mean, he he was, that's tough. I mean, yeah. she basically just said, look, went through everything that he said and said, you have no idea what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. That is, in my mind, what she needed to do, not necessarily with Vivek, but she needed to demonstrate to voters who everyone likes Nikki Haley. Mm -hmm. Right. Right? I mean, if you go, I can tell you, we spent a lot of time on the ground across the country here in the last three weeks. There's not a person who doesn't like yeah, I like Nikki Haley. My wife loves Nikki Haley and, you know, but it's, you know, uh, she president, maybe it's not her turn. You know, you get a caveat to that. Mm. What she needed to do to try to crack through that, in my view, was to have a moment where she was a ball buster. Well, and it's and like she not, was. But not just a ball buster. It, it was one of those rare unicorn moments in a debate where you dismantle somebody else and it builds you up too. Yeah. Right? Because it reinforces her it wasn't bon bona fides, yeah. like you were saying. It wasn't just like an attack that made him look bad. It also made her look good. Yeah. It's one of those rare things you see in a debate moment where you're like, wow, that stands out. Which honestly brings me to uh, uh, Christy. 
Um, he did start out really strong, but man, there were a couple of opportunities that he had to dunk on Vivek, and for whatever reason, I don't understand it, he didn't seem to take it. He I just kind of pulled a punch. The, the, the talking point, uh, or one of the talking points, obviously not the Trump campaign talking point, but one of the talking points ahead of the debate was one of the reasons Trump didn't show up is because he didn't want to accidentally get bodied by Chris Christie. And well... I think there's there's maybe some truth to that, but it's it's incumbent upon Christie to show what would have happened to Trump if he would have if he would have been there, and I think that he had an opportunity for a full demonstration project on poor Vivek if he would have taken it. He he di- it didn't seem like he wanted to yeah, take it. Yeah, look, I I don't disagree with a single second of that. I think Devil's Advocate would say if you're an advisor to Chris Christie and you're looking, he's he's like a clean second. Yeah in New Hampshire in the last couple of polls. He is third, basically, in Iowa, in a state that he hasn't shown up. Basically. Yeah. So his numbers are at a point where he's actually competing here. Now, granted, they're all far away from where Donald Trump is, which we'll get into in a minute, but he's in that area where you would say, as an advisor, you gotta give somebody something to vote for, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is what he was doing there. Mm. I guess my the way I look at it, and I, I'm gathering by the way you guys look at it, is he's there because of the other stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, as great a governor of New Jersey as he might have been, kind of nobody gives a shit. He's very funny. He's very entertaining. He doesn't take shit from anybody. And it's just like he had the perfect opportunity to demonstrate that in front of the world. And I, I guess I'm hoping that he does it in the next one. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I, I think... Everybody got elements of what they wanted, except the, the, the UFO line. By the way, very funny. Oh yeah, it was very, it was very funny. I mean, the guy's got he's brimming with with personality for sure. There was the one time though when Vivek name checked him. Yeah, and I think it was ele- like 2020 election stuff or whatever. And so Christie was you know given time to respond, and he sort of pulled a pulled a punch. That's yeah, the one I mean, that I remember. Yeah, yeah. when I was like, he's he's going to have something here in the chamber, and he didn't. Right, fire. That's the opportunity to say, "Uh oh, George Soros intern yeah. once again coming at me." Thanks, George. You've taken over every prosecutor's office in this country. Crime is running amok. Now you want to take over the White House? It's like somebody needed to hit the George Soros line, and nobody did. I was yeah. really surprised. Yeah. The, the one other thing I wanted to add here, and I tweeted it out after the debate, but five thirty eight and ABC News um, did a flash poll post debate, which I found really, really interesting. Um, you know, who gained and who lost support. Uh, DeSantis, this is in, you know, in voters who are open to voting for yeah. this candidate. DeSantis went from 63 to 67.5. Haley went from 30.2 to 48.7. Wow, it's a big jump. Mm. Ramaswamy went from 40.8 to 46.3. Donald Trump went down from 66.2 to 61.4. So this is kind of what we're talking about. It By no means did anybody in the Variety program suggest that this is going to be fatal for Donald Trump. The problem is, is that the further off stage that he is and the more that we're talking about his legal issues rather than how he'd run the country, it eats away a little bit. And we heard we had La Civita on the program uh, do, in, the, in the game day ahead of time to get their perspective on all of this, and he made some news. I mean, he, he said... Not only are we not going to show at this debate, we're not going to the next debate either. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not going to be in California. We'll see if they show up at a third debate and presumably a fourth before Iowa caucuses. But that, I mean, look, you're edging down on a national scale 
that's one thing. When you start edging down where the margins are tighter in a place like Iowa or New Hampshire, like you kind of have to worry about that a little bit. The same attention economy that's boosting Vivek is the same attention economy that will hurt Donald Trump if he's not in the conversation. Mm. Yeah. If it, we're just hearing about his legal news, you have to think it's going to take a little bit off his poll numbers. But, you know, I don't know. And I'm also curious if the format of this next debate, being at the Reagan Library, a more staid, yeah. august environment with a limited um, studio audience, if that changes uh, tactics at all, too, because... You, you don't know, play for audience approval. Yeah, and DeSantis also went in there and was like, look, I'm basically going to hit 30-second versions of my stump, and mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about my record of accomplishments. If it gets into an issue that I've done something in Florida on, I'm going to mention that. But he didn't really have much of a conversation with the other participants in that debate. He right. didn't get mixed up in any of the back and forth, which was interesting. He sort of rised above that stuff. He probably missed some opportunities by doing it that way. But I think his team probably knows this guy's not like the best, strongest debater, but he's got a great ability to articulate exactly what he's done. I, in my opinion, that's what he needed to do. I mean, that's why I gave the analysis where I gave the first clip that we showed of the game day was him giving a victory speech mm -hmm. because it was a demonstration of leader. It was that stance. It was that he looked very presidential. And you're dealing with what was it, 14 million or something like that that were watching this debate? Mm -hmm. That's by far and away the largest audience that's watched him since November of 22. Yeah, by far and away. And they haven't heard this whole conversation the political junkies and those who are listening to Ruthless have had. You know, this is like a new thing. And so hitting those points, I'm not surprised to see those numbers jump. He did what he needed to do. I'm also not surprised to see that Nikki's jumped. I'm not surprised that Mike Pence has jumped. And I'm not surprised that Vivek's jumped. I do think that if you're open to somebody like Vivek, um, him being a center of attention and back up on the scale of people with incredible resumes in this arena does something for the man, as you suggested. Yeah, it does. I just think like at some point, it has to be acknowledged that the man standing in there on stage saying Donald Trump was the best president of the 21st century and he's running against him. It doesn't, the cognitive dissonance. The, the fact that nobody took that shot yeah. irked me. It's strange, right? It's very, very strange. It irked me. Yeah. Like if you're going to go on stage and say that the front runner by 40 points, who's not on the debate stage because he doesn't think any of you have the at standing to right. even challenge him. Right, and you're going to get on there and- You say, and that guy's the best guy in the world. You're going to be his surrogate. Yeah, like, what are, you, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, so anyway, I, but I also think that it, it actually opens him up to some scrutiny, as we've seen over the last couple of days. You know, he gave an answer. He was on Meet the Press on Sunday, and he gave an answer to, like, did Mike Pence do the right thing? And rather than saying yes or no, he was like, well, I would have handled it very differently. I would have passed comprehensive right. uh, <laughs> legislative uh, solutions mm. to our election system. I didn't that's, know the vice president does yeah, that. No, but even if you can get over the fact that the oh, vice president has no power to do that, even if you can get over that, right. the idea for a conservative that you will nationalize elections like you haven't been paying attention very long. For those of us who've been in the game for a long time, the only thing that has kept voter ID on the books, the only the only reason that there's any election integrity anywhere in this country right now is because we haven't nationalized elections. If we were to nationalize elections. Guess who's in charge? The deep state. Yeah. Nobody's get, taken them out get, yet. I mean, it's it's like it, it to me it gives me shivers 
to even suggest that you've done so little overview of how we got to where we're at to suggest that the federal government take over yeah. state I, elections like i, I just but I don't, it's I don't, unbelievable i don't think overview is his thing you know zig ziglar didn't get into the weeds <laughs> on anything and when he was giving like a motivational speech in front of a salesman's conference he wouldn't he wouldn't get into details details are, are a problem for him yeah, he's but trying I'm, to trying I'm, to get people revved up unfortunately for vivek he wrote a whole book last year where he was very specific about what mike <laughs> pence did and you know, his opinion back then was a whole year ago was much different than his opinion I'm now. I'm sure his opinion in the essay he wrote to George Soros when he was asking <laughs> for the internship was very different than it is on stage running as a Republican for president. But all of that will come out at the Reagan Library. You know, it's, it's offensive at some level because, look, I think this guy is pure talent. He's been he, on the he show is. twice. He's a great salesman. You all listened to him before you ever even thought about being a candidate for president when he was coming on here just to talk about woke corporate America and his view of how that's come to be. And yeah. It was just brilliant stuff. I mean, it was well thought out right. as someone who spent time in the boardroom, as someone who had experience in this area. And then, like, you fast forward to this stuff and... Again, he can sell any, but anything to anybody in the short term. Mm -hmm. But then the salesman has to be on the road. Because if you actually look at the, at the fine print of any of this stuff, it's objectively fucking terrible. I mean, and I, I'm saying this as somebody who I really do admire. I think he is incredibly talented. But what no he's question. doing on the presidential stage is contemptible. And I'm, that's just my view. I think it's absolutely, completely absurd. The idea that our foreign policy somehow is anything you do overseas is somehow a binary choice to doing anything positive for the American people. You don't understand. As if there's no, no, no. interconnectivity. We're going to get leverage over Russia by giving Russia everything that they want. <laughs> and then they will be our friends. Right. That's It's like the fucking underpants gnomes of foreign policy. It doesn't make any sense. Like, did it occur how it is that we got into the mess in the first place? Yeah, yeah. He he doesn't understand this because I guess he, he just decided he, he, he wanted to learn about politics. But he's basically Hillary Clinton with that reset button. So what you just, that is a hundred. He I, is this that. This is what I was going to say. He is that. That's what this is. When you say. It's what we all laughed about. Yeah. About Hillary Clinton. He's now just saying that thing again. He's saying that thing because. Anytime a foreign operation is being conducted by a president of the opposite party, it's looked at by the party out of power with, for good reason, real skeptical view. Yeah. And I, that's not a bad thing. What is a bad thing is trying to take that and reduce it to the point where your objective failures as a domestic administration, for example, not securing the border, something that Donald Trump had great success in doing but pretending as though what's happening overseas is somehow a binary choice to securing the border it's not that is that i would say it's an aptitude but it's on purpose what they're doing down there is on purpose you can do both that's why you hire presidents right but you don't have to like if you you don't have to be a neocon to not be naive like <laughs> you you know what i mean like those it's it there aren't two choices there aren't preemptive strikes and, and, and nuclear bombs or 
we fucking press reset buttons with Lavrov. Like that's those aren't the the binary choice of foreign policy. But like for whatever reason, he's sort of flirting with that isolationist wing of the crypto bro libertarian GOP because that's what he apparently he likes to watch all day on the internet. I don't know. I mean, look, there's a constituency for it that there happens is. to be very loud online. Yes. But it also but, is very, very wrong from a pack practical standpoint. And Donald Trump doesn't Trump, believe it. Trump's not cutting funding to Israel. He moved. He, isn't this Trump a, is not going to cut funding to Israel? This is the guy that moved. <laughs> this is the guy that moved the, 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 from from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Yeah, the yeah. Embassy. I mean, this is this is some somebody who valued that relationship with the Abraham Accords and everything else right. above all. Else. And that's the final thing that I'll say about this. When you're talking about the foreign policy that Vivek was expressing on stage, there is so many people throughout the media who are. You know, they're supposed to know what they're talking about that conflate his views with those of Donald Trump and pretend like that's a new wing of the Republican Party. Donald Trump, as Smug always says, turned Soleimani into salsa. That's not an isolationist view. Certainly is not. Supporting what he did with Israel was anything but an isolationist view was it isolationist when he threatened putin with blowing up his big beautiful golden dome so <laughs> was that is that isolationist is that what vivek is saying but that's the thing that's being totally convoluted here is that people are extrapolating out because donald trump's not on that stage and donald trump does not need to give foreign policy speeches at this point because he's up by 40 and he, and he was president and he can do whatever the hell he wants right. he's got a record of four years right. of demonstrating what it is that he would do people are are inferring some ideology upon trump that doesn't exist right right he in fact he was asked what like two weeks ago what he would do about ukraine and he's like oh of course i'd support ukraine yeah I mean, it was like what Right. That that happened. Am I? I'm, I'm dizzy. That, this it happens with every presidency. I think is like right before, right before the candidate gets to the finish line, a bunch of people run out of the crowd and jump to the front and act like they started it. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And and it it's always the same sort of subsets of the electorate who are like, actually, we're the reason Trump's president, or we're the reason Trump's president. Yeah. And they've sort and I I think I think that sort of wing of of the GOP has very shrewdly figured out a way to make it seem like they're the reason. And I, I mean, I just don't, I fundamentally don't think that's that's true. I think there are elements of truth to it. If you look at the fact Donald Trump went to that South Carolina primary debate, as I always say in 2016, and said, you know, Jeb Bush, your brother was wrong about the Iraq war. I mean, like, there is some truth to those components of it. But if you actually look at what Donald Trump did as president, you can't, say he was an isolationist it just doesn't make <laughs> any sense doesn't make any sense but vivek just bumper stickers everything and says america first 2.0 abraham accords 2.0 i'm gonna do that in fact to the ult i mean look without getting too deep down the rabbit hole trump's main thing to europe with nato was to pony up for your own defense and then don't tell me that you're relying on russia mm -hmm. for your energy needs right and then come crying to me about funding a conflict right. once that becomes very a problem. Pr very practical. But that's what this issue is all, all about. It, if you just left to their own devices, Russia could do whatever it is that Russia's gonna do. Never mind the fact that there is a stated alliance between China and Russia and all of these things. Where do you think the rest of Western Europe, where do you think everybody's going to get 
all of the resources they need. And then where does that put the United States? And it, like, there's a complexity to a foreign policy conversation that we've tried to provide on the Variety Program with a whole range of guests who are very smart on this and will continue to do so. I guess my only point is, do not fall for that stupid bullshit. Like, don't, a bumper sticker is great. And I understand you need to frame your foreign policy views in a way that like most Americans who have softball games to coach and they've got stuff going on with kids going back to school are not going to want to like open up a three ring binder and sort through, <laughs> you know, but you got to be a little, you, may, you can't just be like, oh, that, that's, that snake oil sounds awesome. <laughs> like it just doesn't work that way. And I think that's what he's got going on. I think he's smart enough to have the the wherewithal to buckle down and make a serious case, but that's not what we saw last Wednesday, mm-hmm. in my view. Anyway, um, and by the way, Asa Hutchison needs to get off the stage. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to have a new thing where every month I'm going to call for a candidate to get out of the race. That's one of them. I think. I Can think we that's start be there? My new thing. Yeah, Asa. Can we start? You're there? a very nice man, but I. I think it's time for I would have, exit stage left. I would have much rather seen Larry Elder on that stage. Than Elder can, en- Elder can entertain. I mean, he could talk his way, and he probably would have taken it too. Well, he's got a point of view. There's a reason why he's running. And, like, I understand that Asa expressed his view. And I think he is a uniquely nice man, a gifted public servant. He served his country and his state well. But, like, it's not the time, pal. Right? Mm-hmm. This isn't the time. I don't think I'm stepping out of bounds there. I don't think so. All right. We're going to get back to the Trump stuff because I think that that is a huge part of what we were talking about with the debate and everything else. But I got to go to this story from the Daily Mail. And I actually think that this started in the Wall Street Journal. Mm. Uh, The Wall Street Journal had a piece today that was just mind-blowing. There's this guy, Dylan Stone Miller, 32-year-old gentleman. Mm Mm-hmm who uh, was going to college, a little down on his luck, needed a way to make money. Turns out he has fathered 96 children. (laughs) Three kids for every year of his life. Yeah, by donating sperm in college to earn money. Uh, And he now, but now it's become an issue because he's also like checked the box about people could find him. Oh my God. At a certain age, like when they turn 18. Oh no. So this dude, first of all, 96? It's not like they share the sperm sample. 96 times? How many times did he go into this joint? College is getting too expensive. Hey, did you guys ever know anybody that did this? So I'm actually curious. I was just going to ask the same thing. I, I don't think I do. I definitely remember some conversations like in jest, you know, like (laughs) you're getting, you're getting to the end of the month and the old debit card's getting pretty low. You know, people talking about going to like give like plasma or yeah, like going well, to the sperm bank. My man Moose, mm-hmm. every friend we know, Moose, he follow, mm-hmm. he, for those of you who've been at a live show, you've met Moose. He comes to them all. The guy is just an absolute gentleman. He would every Friday night, Friday morning, roll in and sell plasma. And then he would take whatever they gave him. It was like, you know. 40 bucks and he'd go to the liquor store buy a bottle and a 12 pack and then like he was you know he was good he like funded his weekend uh i understand that and if you can get it done like you know hats off the ah, is it this is a little different than that you're a little sperm bank yeah 
a sperm bank. I just can't, I can't imagine being in college and going to the sperm bank as many times as this man did and never thinking twice about checking that box about <laughs> the, <laughs> about the, the kids being able to find you when they turn 18. Like you, like maybe you make that mistake once, yeah. maybe you make, make it twice. But like after you're in there for your third time thinking, boy, the odds are getting pretty good that I'm going to have a child out there. You know what I mean? So so here's my question. What a virile is man, it, by the way. I mean, <laughs> 90, 96 that we know of. Is it is it routine that everybody who goes into a sperm bank on a regular basis is turning out 96 kids? <laughs> or do we think that this no, no, guy no, this had something in you his profile? Individual. Oh, it must have been. Do you an think you think that the, these women are flipping through the 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 book and they're like, oh, GPA. Oh, he uh, I mean, what what are, what are the stats that show I want, up in I the book? I want to know what the bio looks like. Exactly. I mean, is this guy Troy Aikman's nephew or <laughs> or what? What in the world compels all of these women to pick Dylan Stone Miller as the father? Hi, Dylan Stone Miller of the Brad Pitt Society of the Millers. Ex ex exactly. Well, yeah. Also, like at this point, with that sort of conversion rate off of the product he produced, <laughs> like, do you get do you get so he he's a some guarantee? Do you get a bonus? Is what I'm saying. Oh. Like, is there a conversion? Like, a do you, do you have some kind of a? That's right. That's what I'm saying. Like it's a, like a residuals. Like a take. You should get a take. Yeah, like like a ten percent off it. Uh, you know, I'm just you know. Saying. And but I mean, he's selling wholesale here. <laughs> this is wholesale. So so back back to my point. <laughs> back to my point about whether it was Troy Aikman or GPA or whatever. Maybe yeah. something something you just said, Michael. Maybe that's the reason. Maybe they look at the page on the book and it's like one hundred percent conversion rate. Yeah. And they're like, okay, I'm taking this one because I know it's going to work. Yeah, quality stock. I mean, I don't know. You know, Wolf, they're going to. Have you ever swim. met anybody? Have you ever met anybody who's ever done that? No. Wolf hasn't either. You know, there's got to be a lot of people out here, and it see it says that he he was cited for underage drinking. Watch, I oh. threw that in the article just because <laughs> you know whatever that was probably not in the profile, but now it gives you a little sense of the motive there, as as it did with Moose in a very different way. <laughs> But but he's met already. He's met twenty five of these hmm. of these kids. I mean, it says in here he's like made a spreadsheet with birthdays. <laughs> I mean, this is gonna be the first guy in history that goes out of you know <laughs> goes into debt because of Hallmark cards. Well, he's like a, he's like an ancient British king or like a, like an Egyptian pharaoh. Yeah, I mean, mean like there's yeah. a society that's built off of this guy. I mean, he made a hundred bucks a pop. Did you see that? In three generations, steady, what he, they, could, he could he could fill a city. I'll I'll just read from the uh, Daily Mail. Stone Miller would provide a steady stream of donations oh, come on. for six years, <laughs> collecting a hundred dollars a piece in the process. They, look what they've done. That's from the Daily Mail. He's now an accomplished engineer, and uh, he's got kids in his own right. And so, like this is, I imagine, probably somewhat of a disruption to some of that. But but uh, he he's now met all of these people, and he lives down in Hotlanta, mm. and uh, and I just I'm having trouble, guys, working my way through some of this stuff here. Like I, I just I can't figure out how you break the news to your wife. Like hey, I was pretty broke in college. I went to a sperm bank. She's like, oh, 
oh okay and you're like and they you know they, they it worked so like i do have a kid running out they're like oh you've got another child that we don't know about but it was you know it wasn't with a woman it was you know it was um that's crazy and he's like i had 96 <laughs> 96 of them 25 of them are in my rolodex currently <laughs> and i'm going to be celebrating every one of their birthdays it's a disruption in thanksgiving isn't it you think he's done making deposits you think he, you think he hung it up, or do you think? Well, he's they don't give them. Growing? I mean, I don't know. I, I, like, could that number grow? I. It doesn't give us a timeline for start and stop. It doesn't give us a timeline on that. At this point, you you'd think he'd keep going. Because <laughs> I mean, he really could set some sort of a historical record. <laughs> Just like, can't. don't don't stop, man. I want to know more about this guy. For those of you. Uh, who've had people that you know that have had experience with this sort of thing. I'd like to know more about it. I really would. I feel like this is a a topic worth exploring. Be, before we get into our, our next story, um, apropos of everything, uh, <laughs> I, I went to my cousin's uh, wedding over the weekend. Um, he's a big fan of the variety program. Mm, I mean, we great. talked about it. You know the whole night, and oh, and the whole family and extended family, a lot of lot of thoughts about the show, about you know some tips and a lot of stuff. Yeah. But but Adam, my cousin Adam Duncan, huge 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 fan. He got married this weekend. Ah, congratulations to Adam and Kaylee. Um, I say apropos of everything because I know my uncle and my aunt, they want some grandkids now. Oh, so okay. I hope he gets to work not in this way as our, as our friend. Yeah, and, and whatever you do, if, if worse comes to worse, the Stone Miller seed is something you're going to want to think twice about because it is apparently a one-take deal. Yeah. Well, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Uh, but a special shout-out to my cousin, Adam, who, like I said, huge fan of, of the Variety program. And I, I listen, I know how much your family means to you uh, because those of us who are sort of in and out in Milwaukee, you had uh, three different stages of your trip uh, to try to get there. And Like, I spent my Saturday in a bad place. I mean, 114-degree heat, back-to-back, uh, -back, we did stuff Thursday, and, like, I was dying Thinking about being in the middle of a family wedding was something I wanted to like drown myself in my toilet bowl. <laughs> and and you did it with a, I saw the pictures. You look like you were having a blast. I had a great time. Well, you know, having a, a like a babysitter at the hotel. Oh, that helps. Oh man, that really that really made my night. And and Katie and I could dance the night away. Oh, and you spent a little quality time with your wife. And the band was fantastic. The Bruno Mars because yeah, Bruno Mars. These days, if you got a live band, when they nail the Bruno Mars, oh, yeah. you know you got a good band. Was he dancing too? Incredible. Yeah. Really? Did oh, they, yeah. They had some synchronized dances they were doing with the guy with the saxophone and really? everything. It was a top-notch thing. It was at the War Memorial outside of Detroit. Fantastic. You wedding. know, Detroit has always brought the Motown style. That's right. Style. They got some good bands there. Yeah. No, that's good. I like that. That's great. All right. So let's get into some serious stuff for a minute. Um, we obviously while we were the day after our Milwaukee stuff, uh, the whole Trump mugshot and everything in Atlanta, the, the, the pomp and circumstance around that was completely absurd. And the idea that we're throwing 30 cop cars with lights and sirens around a motorcade, taking a former president into 
custody in Fulton County is just like, look, I got a lot of problems with that. Uh, a lot, regardless of how you feel about the charges, I just think we're in a place where if prosecutors are able to do this at a local level. Like, oof, I am mm-hmm. nervous about the future of all of it. But the Trump campaign, uh, being as we've talked about on the Variety program, fairly adept at turning adversity into opportunity, has put out uh, all kinds of different merch on this mugshot which everyone in the English-speaking world and probably the, all of the world has seen by now, which is a classic Trump picture, by the way. Yeah, although I got to say I was a little disappointed in Smile. You didn't think that the... You, I thought it was kind of like the a scowl? perfect, the stern oh, you, you scowl. Were, you were expecting a smile. Well, I remember when we had this conversation You thought he did a Tom DeLay. Yeah, about six months ago, we said, you know, the way that Tom DeLay did it was really the cheat code because yeah. they put that photo up on the evening news and trying to make him look It was bad. indistinguishable from his congressional photo. He looked like a million bucks. Yeah. And I I would have appreciated a little wry smile. Yeah. Um, the scowl works, too. It's sort of his classic look. The thing I liked about the scowl was it fits with his milieu of fighting against the system. Trump is fighting against everything that's coming for you, regular voter, and he's going to stand in the way and block them from taking you out the way they're trying to take Well, there must have been several Americans that agreed with that because they've raised a total of $7.1 million uh, in the 48 hours after the release of that photo and various merch. There is nobody who spent more time looking at himself in the mirror and thinking about how he looks on camera and considering the implications of all that. Nobody understands other than, other than, you know, I, I... Maybe William Shakespeare. Nobody <laughs> under nobody understands how the stage is actually everything. Quite I was like gonna go PT Barnum, yeah. but yeah, no. Quite like Donald Trump. Yeah, sure. But I mean, what did he spend? Seventy, seventy five million dollars, you know, since the beginning of the year in the mid year report on legal fees. Yeah. And he has three more indictments since then. Yeah. I mean, look, it's it's a it's a huge haul, and obviously, there's a lot of people who are, as you've said, Holmes on the show, are in his camp no matter what. Yeah, um, and they're gonna pony up and and give him some dough to fight all of this. But you have to wonder: is he gonna is is any of that seven point one gonna end up in attack ads on Joe Biden? Well, that's I, what we I worry have to about. think zero zero will. That's what we worry about. I mean, he's got, at this point, they've got an enormous over legal overhead to deal with, in addition to the campaign that they're running, which is not free. Yeah. And then on top of that, you've got ads in the primary, which they've been amongst the biggest spenders on thus far. You can see a, a general election scenario where you're right. None of that actually gets into fighting against Joe Biden. And, yeah. that's, and that should make people concerned, mm-hmm. at least about sort of where that money is but at it look i can't take i can't fault them for creating an opportunity here and raising money where they can well i also have to object a little bit to what my friend my good friend here john ashbrook said about they're giving him this money because he's standing in the way of people who want to do bad things to you i mean those people went to jail for him on january 6th he wasn't funding their legal defense right he raised a quarter of a billion dollars to stop this deal he didn't stop it he transferred it to his next presidential campaign those people rotted in prison for two years and he made him a spotify song <laughs> so i don't understand this notion that he's standing in the way of people who want to do bad things to you 
I don't hide documents by my toilet at my <laughs> at my golf club. These these aren't problems that I have. But, I mean, my problem is like our our border sucks. Our 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 standing in the world is diminished. Our economy is in fucking ruins because we have a geriatric dementia patient as president. Yeah. Like, let's solve those problems. Those are problems your average American has, not like, you know, the scheduling of where your court trials are going to be. But Michael, and, and what sort of timing with the primaries? Michael, he looked into the camera with a scowl on his face, and he promised to build the wall in his next term. Yeah. Well, he had four years to do it. Yeah. I mean, look. These are all of the questions that begin to be discussed now that everybody's 15 million at least has have a, had a chance to see some alternatives, which again, I think does change the calculus yeah. and along we go. But in that is the timing of these court cases themselves, right? There's a big discussion in Georgia, and this was in Politico today, is the first test in the Georgia v. Trump, can prosecutors keep their home court advantage? The first big showdown for Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis in her case against Donald Trump and 18 of his allies will take place on unfamiliar turf, a federal courtroom, officially the Monday hearing in Atlanta, and this is next Monday, um, will focus on a bid by a co-defendant, Mark Meadows, to move the case out of Georgia State Court. Many reasons for that. But in short, the hearing will be before U.S. District Court Judge Steve Jones, and it could resemble a mini trial that will carry important lessons for the bigger pan, uh, bigger case to come. And so uh, part of the reason why that is, is what they're, they're arguing for is a federal envelopment mm -hmm. of this case. Yeah. In other words, the state charges, all the RICO stuff that we talked about, sort of falls by the wayside and it gets enveloped into that larger case that we were talking about with Jack Smith and feds have preeminence on it. Mm -hmm. You can make an argument as to why it is that Meadows is doing this, right? Mm -hmm. Remember, Meadows was one of the people who was conspicuously not indicted on the federal side. Oh, interesting. You can ask a lot of questions about why he was not indicted. Many people are saying, they're wondering. It is, it's, it's <laughs> strange because he's central to Georgia for all the reasons that are in the indictment itself, which obviously the feds had access to and yet not charged in that case. So you can understand why it would be advantageous for Meadows to have a federal court. But by, by the way, sorry, but he's also essential to the Mar-a-Lago -Lago Docs case because it was, it was his book. It was his book that those people were there with the tape recorders that they got Trump saying, I could have declassified this as president. I'm not president anymore and I can't declassify it. Oops. Like that, like he's like the fucking Forrest Gump of the indictments. <laughs> well, if you, so if you listen to Trump, shall I say affiliated mm -hmm. people, uh, what they'll tell you is he was cooperating with the feds mm -hmm. and that the, the Georgia prosecutor never offered that kind of cooperation because he was in fact a target rather than the target being just Trump. Like yeah. All of these people were targets. So they, like, however cooperative he wanted to be, they were not interested. They thought he was central to the case itself. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I have no way of knowing if that's true. I guess we'll find out in time. But it is interesting yeah. that he's central to the Georgia case and yeah. nowhere to be seen in either of two federal indictments. <laughs> so take it upon himself to go uh, try to get this change of venue to get to the feds. And the most interesting aspect to this 
that you should care about is because what will happen in this argument on Monday is a mini trial in that you're going to have both the prosecutors and the defense airing their best stuff or at least some element of their best stuff to try to keep jurisdiction of this. So beyond the indictment, you will get an oral argument, some version of what we're going to see when this trial actually takes place. And do I understand correctly that this will be on television in Georgia? Cameras are allowed in the courtroom. Oh, is that true? Yeah, and I I think that we are going to watch this live in real time, much the same way we did with the OJ case. Interesting. Interesting. They also say a jury for a trial in federal court would likely be drawn from 10 counties that comprise Atlanta and and sprawling suburbs, where a state court would likely include uh, people from Fulton County, which uh, voted for Joe Biden 73-26. So you can make an argument just on jury selection alone, you're going to need a fairer trial in a federal court than you would in a state court. Mm Mm-hmm. All very interesting. A lot, a lot of overlap between the cases. There is a lot of overlap. I w- <laughs> and and a lot of people say that this Georgia case will end up before the Supreme Court in some fashion anyway. But I, I think the differentiator there, though, is the RICO charge. It's very, it's not, it's not in the federal. Yeah, right. This is a state statute. It's a state statute. Yeah. And so you, you have to think at least there's a chance that it stays on its own track Mm -hmm. just because of that alone. Yeah, or elements of it Right. anyway. So look, we'll have to see how it all plays out. I said at the outset that I was sort of discomforted by all of this. And I think I probably speak for all of our audience when I say, when you're getting elected prosecutors in deeply urban districts that vote against this president, as they say, 76, whatever, or 80, 20, or 90, 10 in the case of Alvin Bragg, um, it, it, I'm concerned about that. Like, I'm very concerned. Whatever you think about DOJ mm-hmm. and the two systems of justice, which I'm also very concerned about, this is a new thing. Where if it, be, it, it is now politically advantageous for a political boogeyman of an opposing party to be run through the gauntlet, fingerprinted, and mugshotted as a campaign promise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a campaign promise. If that is the new standard that we have in this country, we got a hell of a problem, fellas. We got a hell of a problem. And that's what it looks like. Like regardless of what you think about any of the merits of any of this stuff, like this is a federal court case of some, if it is to be proven, Mm -hmm. this is the United States versus Donald Trump. This is not Fulton County. Right. This is not Manhattan DA. You know, I mean, this is this is this is a much larger with national implications. He is, you know, odd betting favorite here to be nominee for the Republican Party. If you can take down that person with charges, it's a precedent that we have not broken in this country. Right. And it is now broken. And there will surely be the other side of the coin at some point. And like we have, I think, an obligation at some level as a country to look at this and try to figure out if there is a different way to handle it. Because this is this is just ugly, disgusting, partisan bullshit. Well, it, 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 it tips off a, um, a vicious cycle that's hard to see, as you, as you point out, that's hard to see how it would ever end. 
and that's a problem. But the other side of the coin, what's also a problem is sort of like the boy who cried wolf uh, aspect to it, where if you have a president who is in the White House right now, and let's just say his son was working for a foreign government and then sending money to his father, who was vice president at the time, that's a problem. Yeah. And that's something that should be prosecuted. And in well, it's certainly it's, far it's, worse. It's than a level of about. corruption that rises high, high above anything that we're talking about with Trump. And what Democrats will do is say, "Oh, Fannie Willis. Oh, six cases Trump's indicted. Don't worry about uh, uh, about the Biden family taking a bribe to knock out a prosecutor as a political favor in a corrupt system in Ukraine. You know, like it's." Well, they don't have that's that's the part about this whole Trump process that makes me the most uncomfortable, because I know that Democrats are using it to cover the track of their own corrupt president. Well, as you heard in our opener with Swalwell. Exactly. You know, I mean, what a dirtbag this dude is. But, you know, I mean, what he's doing is throwing out any smoke screen he can do right. to try to do exactly what you said. He's too sleepy to do crimes. He's too sleepy to do crimes. He can't possibly do the crimes. Most crimes happen after 9 p.m. That's his <laughs> bedtime. <laughs> That's when the crimes go down. Yeah. I just think the other thing about the press and you're getting with all of this is not a single one of them, it's not in their job description, but not a single one of them think about the ramifications upon our country. Right. It's the same reason why they did the Alabama ferry boat story. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a fight between drunken idiots and a guy trying to do his job on the job on the dock. Mm -hmm. But if you make it a racially divisive, insane story that fronts every newspaper in the English speaking world, all of a sudden you elicit emotions out of the American people that are counterproductive. And mm -hmm. for today's story, that's terrific. That's mm -hmm. clickbait mm -hmm. for the long lasting implications for this country itself. It's devastating. Mm -hmm. It's it's just like. And that's, I think, what we're seeing here. But to put a finer point on it as it relates to Trump, did you see the dates? Yeah, not not good. What did, what are those dates? Did you see the dates? Yeah, so, we've got the Trump federal election case that's scheduled for March fourth, hmm. the day before Super Tuesday. No. So so yeah. So <laughs> so just as a reminder, on March fifth. Alabama, Alaska, America, Samoa, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, and Virginia. Not political. Are voting. There's there's not there's not there's nothing political about the process they're they're pushing on. And Trump. there was nothing another, political. you know, there was another date out there that was floated by uh Fanny. Mm. Fan this has not been locked in. No. But it was a date that she thought maybe most appropriate to conduct the trial down in Georgia. What do you think that was? I, I give up. That was March 4th. Um, Same date. So you can come not, at this also, in one of also, two ways. Also not political. Not, not, <laughs> nothing political about it. How can you land on the same date? Well, uh... How can you, how can you land... De devil's advocate just blind luck uh the <laughs> just just devil's advocate here the dance card's getting pretty full well, you on trials time. you got to find some trial and you got to let each trial breathe a little bit here in case they take a long time to examine the evidence and who the hell knows but he's i mean i think at this point like in process is like six seven different trial dates march 4th yeah how can you come to the same no. date that just happens to be the day <laughs> before super tuesday when if not a majority, a plurality of the delegates are actually awarded in this presidential election. Mm. 
I, tell me that's not political. I know, but like we're, I mean, as Republicans, we're kind of opting into that. I mean, we obviously know these these things are a problem with the general election and Republican primary voters are like, no, we want this as hard and as difficult as possible. We're sticking by it. But let's be even more cynical. They know it's a huge problem in the general election. They also know over the last six months, it is a huge advantage for Donald Trump in a primary election. Right. So hauling him in before two courts in one day, the day before everybody votes, if history is your guide from Alvin Bragg up until this very moment, what's going to happen? Yeah. It's like if I'm Donald Trump and I'm looking at a budget that is like 80% legal fees at this point, the first thing I'm cutting is GOTV. <laughs> you don't need it. Fan Fanny's got you there. <laughs> Fanny's got it. <laughs> Fanny's got it. But if there's one way as a partisan prosecution to guarantee the most eyes and probably the top end of primary conservative motivation to support Donald Trump, what better way to do it than to get the trial started the day before Super Tuesday? Yeah, because now every election is a referendum on whether you think this is fair, fair to Donald Trump. And because you're it have has to nothing, go, to, nothing right. to do with your choices. Right. It has nothing to do with who you think is going to run the country. Right. It is everything, as we talked about two weeks ago, it has everything to do with a vast majority of, of Republican voters, whether or not you let air out of this balloon on the two systems of justice or you don't. Mm -hmm. And if their only way to protest what the Biden DOJ and Fannie in Georgia and Bragg in New York are doing is to vote for Donald Trump, now you got one option and it happens March 5. Well, and, and that's why I keep on, I sound like a broken record, but in talking about the other candidates, like... You know, just free advice. If you keep talking about how things are unfair to Donald Trump, they're going to show up with the same message when they get in the polling booth and say, you know what? Things are unfair to Donald Trump. I'm going to vote for him to stand with him because this is so unfair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that they landed on Super Tuesday because if memory serves, originally the federal case was looking at uh january 2nd right so that was right before the iowa caucuses so yeah. they must have made a determination that they get the more bang for their buck hitting him ahead of super well Tuesday what you're getting here what you're iowa. getting the reason that everybody's getting confused and why we're not mentioning all of the other dates is that there's a negotiation in process on everything and you may have heard that uh the feds first floated a january date and Trump countered by saying May 26 that they're comfortable with. And eventually the judge will just set the damn thing. The only one that they've set is the federal case on March 4. Mm -hmm. We don't know when the Georgia date's going to be. We don't know ultimately when the documents case. Well, yeah. well documents is May. In May. May. I, I'm sorry. There's yeah. two that they've set, May and this March yeah. date. But all the other ones are still floating all around. Mm -hmm. So we don't know. But that's why this has gotten, this has gotten, everybody's trying to figure out like, all right, well, so what does this mean for the election? Is this right before a certain, well, now what we just told you is rock solid. But also they took two and a half years on this Georgia case. You know, it's not like, it's, it's not like they started processing right when they had evidence. They, they waited specifically to put it right in the middle of the Republican election cycle. Yeah. I mean, they, right? They, they didn't, they, they didn't, they didn't, they could have done it last year. They didn't do it last year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't know what the inside, I know that the set, the, the timing of these dates of trial is overtly political and nobody can ever 
convince me otherwise. Right. I mean, I'm I'm never surprised that Democrats do things to hurt Republicans. I don't know why we're all act. We don't. Why act surprised? Let's just make smarter decisions for ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I think it's as simple as that. It's like yeah. I expect them to be the worst and the biggest pieces of shit because they are. I'm not surprised by right. any of it. We're all here because of that. Right. We wouldn't be doing this show if that was not the case. It's like it's like Ru- Rubio was right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> We have to Wait. dispel with this fiction. Dispel with this fiction. <laughs> that they don't know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. Christy, Christy could get over our our critical debate analysis. I'm yeah. not sure he's getting over that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying that because Smug isn't here. So. <laughs> oh, I love that. All right. So uh, the other thing that we wanted to cover. So you remember a couple, this has got to be a month ago, when Gavin Newsom and DeSantis talked about a debate. Yeah. Well, it turns out the Biden advisors are not very happy about that. Yeah, I love that. So NBC News reports that California Governor Gavin Newsom is increasingly being viewed as a nuisance to some in President Joe Biden's political circles. Mm. Oh, no. I wonder who that might be. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting, right? According to four people familiar with the matter. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's how you know it's true, because there's four. There's four that are familiar. (laughs) Kamala, her husband, her chief of staff, and the press secretary. <laughs> and Ron, and, and because it's NBC, Ron Klain. Right. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Uh, though Biden's camp no longer sees Newsom as a wannabe challenger. Oh, though of course not, because that's part of it that you have to get in there. Yeah. Right? When you're pitching this kind of story, you have to be like, oh, we're, we're not worried, mm-hmm. but we're, we're, we're disappointed. Yeah. We're not we're actually worried about anything. Right. But we need to get this story out here because we didn't want him to not do it. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, nobody would challenge the mental acuity of the president of the United States, right? Imagine not putting that in quotes, by the way. I know. That's just a written statement. It's just they're not not worried. Though Biden's camp no longer sees uh, Newsom as a wannabe challenger, and some in Biden's orbit praise him for acting as a top campaign surrogate, Newsom's plan to debate Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on television carries more risk than potential reward. These people. All four of them say uh, that has caused consternation within Biden's operation and amongst Vice President Kamala Harris's allies. Mm. Well, of course, that powerhouse operation. Well, and, that, and that's you're going to have to figure out which allies. I mean, check back next week. Different allies. But, but that's that's really the subtext that Ashbrook was was alluding to there earlier on, right? Is that you know, I mean, you know how this world works and how the sausage is made. But this is the sort of story you want out there if you're. Kamala Harris, 100%. because you know the end of the article. Here's the quote: Joe Biden is running with Kamala Harris. <laughs> that's the Democratic ticket, no, and right. that's what they want, right? right? Yeah. That's what the right. Kamala camp wants because they don't want her to be pushed to stage left, you know, and and Gavin Newsom uh, get shoved in there. Well, and heaven forbid that the American people actually get a debate between two people representing different visions right. for this country rather than one about somebody's legal issues and the other whether in fact he can complete the full hour and a half on stage yeah you know what i mean because that's what it is currently kabbalah's biggest nightmare is that gavin newsom gets up there and starts talking about liberal priorities without waxing poetic about time and space (laughs) (laughs) oh man (laughs) i want to see this i can't wait to see it i can't hear it tune in for it uh, guys, I got to get to this because it just absolutely drove me up the wall. You know how I feel about this sort of thing. This was an Axios today. Uh, kid adults, question mark. Mm. Eldertainment, question mark. Toy makers, 
target grown-ups. As children migrate from playthings to screens, toy makers have been tweaking their products to cater to the nostalgic tastes of adults, from Gen Z to senior citizens. Come on. The Barbie and Transformer movies have helped fuel retro toy craze amongst adults and bolstered the hopes of toy sellers who are trying to recover from a slump that even after the pandemic they couldn't shake off. For the last several years, kidults, quote-unquote. Teenagers and adults who like cartoons, action figures, board games, building sets and puzzles have been driving global toy sales. Uh, okay, let me just draw the line. Charges, right? Charges. Charges. This is why Charges. birth rates are in a de- death spiral. Charges. I mean, unbelievable. No, no girl is interested in that. You know what would be great, guys? Like, go to a fucking park, look at a sunset, <laughs> like catch a fish. Should we? Should we? We should. We should have like a dating, uh, a, a dating episode where we we field questions from concerned young men and women. If you're dating somebody who's like, I can't do this. I have to play pinball tonight because like all my sensors need to be going and I need to I need to see lights and binging and dinging and all that shit dump their ass immediately and find a real human being because that person's not going to make a very good father or mother. What caught my attention is action figures. Are you kidding me? Wait, an that... adult with an act? Yeah, it said right there. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Cartoons and action figures. Halo and Call of Duty figurines. They. What are you going to do with that? It's like, it, it, it's like a Comic-Con broke containment and is now infecting the rest of our society. No, I mean, it, it genuinely is. The people who used to have to do like low-key announcements of their, of their, you know, what do you call them? Those, uh, what are like, there's like a, like a, everybody goes to Branson, Missouri mm-hmm. and like they all celebrate their sickness. Yeah, like a like a convention. It's yeah. like a convention, yeah, yeah. Right? Comic Con. Yeah, but yeah. you got to keep it kind of on the down low, and it's basically your own people. Because if yeah, anybody it's a normal got in there, they'd be yeah. like, "Jesus, you nerds!" Like a Magic the Gathering tournament. Yeah, yeah. But now it's like broken out into the open. Yeah. Oh, what's going on? <sighs> One thing I'd like to point out is that they say Star Wars, Halo, and Call of Duty figurines. <laughs> Notice. Notice they're not talking about starting lineups here, <laughs> because because anybody who had starting lineups has moved on in life. I'll tell you if, if you if you had a Halo or a Call of Duty figurine, maybe you haven't moved on in life. This would be one of those circumstances where, like, as a dad, I would have either irreparable damage with my kids, where we wouldn't speak for a period of years, or they'd immediately get the joke. Yeah. Because if I had like a college age kid who was like collecting figurines from Halo, I'd smash the shit out of those things. <laughs> like go to the game. Is there a frat party or something you can go to? Go get in trouble. Do something for crying out loud. Be an adult. Send a, You got to send a message. Oh, you, you got to send a message. send a message. Somebody has to wake that kid up. What but- would Dale Duncan do in this circumstance? Oh, my God. I can't even imagine. He would have whooped my ass. I can't even imagine. <laughs> it would not be good. No. No, it wouldn't be good. I think this is sort of, in, like you were saying, at, up top charges. This is sort of in line with the Disney adult thing. It's 
it's the people with Peter Pan syndrome. It's right? a failure to launch. Never wanting to, to grow up. And our, our society coddles this sort of behavior and has for a very long time. Because they can It's like, did China is, makes these figurines, we buy them, and then they're going to beat us in World War Three because of this bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> For its worth, I, I feel the same way about competitive sports over the age of 40. I'm just going to say it. Yeah, You're Berg, not a professional athlete. Bergam, Bergam. This, this, this is the rule. Yeah. After 40, you put down the basketball. You can play golf and tennis. That's golf what they're tennis. there for. You know, if you really have to lose your mind, you know, shuffleboard or something. Yeah. You know, maybe a... Jim Rome had a great take on this with softball. Yeah, you guys softball remember, guy. You guys remember what Jim Rome said about this? Oh, guy. so funny. God bless Jim Rome. Yeah. But he, he really a had a example, great take right? on It's right? You this. get all yeah. tanked up, and then you have, like, competitive softball. And it's not, like, fast-pitch softball we're talking about, you know, yeah. the stuff that adults do. And and people get like they wear jerseys and they're like super into it and they're like oh we took to first get... place and it's like, dude I understand there's probably a lot of people listening to this where you find yourself in that circumstance maybe that's like the one outlet you have to get outside of the house for that I totally understand but like make sure you understand that if you run second base and you pull a hammy or your Achilles pops or something like that not a damn person's gonna feel bad for you right. Like, I'm trying to think of what my life would be like if I, like, tore my ACL right now. <laughs> you think about how you know, mad with, your wife would be. Right. With, like, I, you know, a four-year-old and a 16-month-old. Like, my wife would smother me with a pillow <laughs> before before she would let me lie in bed for, for three months and go to physical therapy. Like, that's it. That's the end of my marriage. You know? Like, with that to risk, I don't know how anyone can justify playing softball. It's a controversial take, but it's a hard one here in the Variety program. Yeah, and I'm confident Smug would Smug would agree with this. I yep. yeah, maybe, maybe he might have some sort of countervailing take. You know how he is. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Uh, one thing you wanted to do, smashed. You saw a Wisconsin headline that you wanted to take note of. Yeah, I I do, and this is out of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel this morning, and it's about Tammy Baldwin. And apparently, while she was cheerleading for business and school shutdowns, she was secretly taking taxpayer-funded trips all around the country, oh. thousands of miles of trips. Well, to visit her partner in New York, it looks like. Well, that's exactly right. And her office has now, they, they were caught, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel caught them in the act, and her office has refunded the trips because they know that they were in the wrong. And what's stunning about this to me is the timing where she is making speeches and she is pushing for every school and every business to shut down, and yet here she is traveling all over the place, telling people, don't travel, don't go out of your house, but I'm going to go to New York. Yeah, here's the tweet. This is incredible. This is four days after her trip to New York City. Remember, the epicenter of the pandemic. <laughs> we have a raging COVID-19 outbreak in Wisconsin and across the country. This pandemic is getting worse. And we need to start working together to contain it so we can get our economy on the right track and move forward. 
You know, by working together, I mean visiting my partner right. in New York City <laughs> on your dime. Well, what the story notes is that both Wisconsin and New York were experiencing a surge in COVID cases at the time, and Wisconsin was on New York's travel restriction list. I would, oh, wow. That is an additional yeah. component. You know, it's easy to laugh at this now, and obviously she's a huge, huge hypocrite. But I don't think it's enough to call her a hypocrite. I mean, I think it's these not. people are fucking evil. People lost their businesses. Kids lost Dude, years in school. People people had to go to funeral services at Arlington National Cemetery from their cars, laying their loved ones to rest. People had to die alone in hospital beds where nurses would fill rubber gloves with warm water so they could hold a hand as they died My without God. their family. And she sends this tweet, and she charges this to the taxpayer. You're an evil person. Yeah. Evil. Yeah. Well, and they're trying again, guys. I mean, lo and behold, despite all evidence to the contrary, turns out uh, COVID operates very much like all the coronaviruses before them. It's seasonal in nature. And lo and behold, it's the end of summer. We're entering into fall. And my goodness gracious, there's an outbreak of yeah. the COVID. I can't believe that it didn't vanish from the face of the planet as the previous however many COVIDs before it have not. <laughs> <laughs> it is, these people are so dishonest. I, uh... They're so dishonest. Let's all send them packing. Uh, fellas, I think this is a hell of an episode. It's nice to do this. I think we did it. You know, I think um, I think we can only do this one way, and that is to put Amanda Henneberg's outro in, in honor of Smug's absence. Another banger of an episode, folks. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. Stay ruthless. <laughs> <laughs>